0: Hello everybody and welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. We are so excited that you're here. I'm here with Lorenza.
1: Hello everybody.
0: And today we are going to be answering some general questions that have been posed to us in the Facebook group.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, we've been uh, getting uh, a really great influx of new members to the Property Investment Mastery Group, which we were absolutely thrilled about. And everybody is just commenting and putting you know, down their goals and their current situation. And a lot of questions have come up um, in these welcome posts. So we'd like to address some of those today.
0: Fantastic. So without further ado, we're going to jump straight in.
1: All right. So I think, yeah, in terms of the structure of today's podcast, um, we're going to try to touch on as many of the different questions as possible. Some of them are of quite varying topics. So um, this is quite a different kind of podcast to what we normally put out. But I think let's just get, get straight to it. So... I think one of the questions that came up um, in a recent post was how to deal with flaky tenants. So, tenants who don't pay on time, uh, tenants who always seem to have some kind of family emergency and delay their payment. Um, how, you know, what, what, when is it the time to hand out a Section 21? And maybe for some of you who don't know, what is a Section 21?
0: Okay, this is a really good question. Flaky tenants are an absolute nightmare because it means that they're going to be giving you the runarounds, they could be missing rent payments. And in which case you are never going to be sure when you are going to receive the rent. And of course rent for landlords is something we need. It brings in that income. So the first thing that I would do is always make sure that you have a good relationship with your tenants and I know that that can be hard but you want to stay in contact with your tenants so that they can be open with you and they don't feel like that you as a landlord are going to be heavy-handed immediately. They need to be able to have a conversation with you so that if anything's wrong you can trust them to come to you and say this is the situation and then negotiate some reasonable payment terms in. Because obviously, if they are hitting their payment terms, then that's fine. You can deal with that. You can make changes accordingly. But if they don't hit what they agree, then at that stage, you can start taking action. Please always get any negotiations or payment additional payment terms or anything that you agree with the tenant in writing make sure that you're putting read receipts on that email and the best thing is is for those tenants to come back and confirm that this is all evidence that if it goes to court that you need to get that tenant out you can use there so make sure that you're keeping file notes of any calls that you do Um, any WhatsApp messages, emails, text messages, you name it, keep a record of it and make sure that tenant responds. So if you say to a tenant, okay, for this month only, I agree this payment plan of X, Y, and Z. To accept this, you need to reply to this email or reply to this message and agree that and chase them on it as well. So that is the first... um, good tip of advice I would say to you about dealing with flaky tenants and you don't have to use your solicitors or anything for that. But if your tenants then start going into arrears of two months, then you need to be on the phone to your solicitors who are going to then help you write a section 21 notice. A section 21 notice gives the tenants two months to vacate. You could also use a section 8 notice as well. Your, t- your solicitors will be able to advise you what's appropriate in your situation. However, you need to, in order to be able to use these remedies, you must have made sure that at the start of the tenancy that you can y- you have served the, the deposit properly. So you need to have held it in the right deposit protection scheme and you would need to have served the right information on the tenants. If you haven't done that, then you won't be able to serve that section 21 notice and you could be liable for a lot of fines. So do make sure that you are doing that. But again, as I said, the main thing is all about uh, keeping that really good tenant conversation up, that tenant rapport, making sure that you've got a good landlord and tenant relationship. And that is the best way of dealing with flaky tenants and of course at the end of the tenancy if they're not good tenants it's time to get them out and get new ones it's always far more cost effective to spend a little bit of money on that than it is having tenants that you have no idea when they're going to pay
1: hmm yeah, I mean, it totally disrupts the entire working of your property portfolio, and um, I can imagine it must be quite disastrous if, you know, you've got three or four tenants like this, although that might be quite a rare situation. It could happen. Um, so, 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 thanks for going into a few of the processes that, you know, landlords can, can go to protect themselves and to make sure that, you know, uh, payments are coming at the right time. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else on that point that you'd like to chat about before we go on to the next topic?
0: No, I think that is a very good summary of what you need to be doing if your tenants start messing you around. And always, always, always check your accounts, make sure your tenants are paying and if it does hit that two months of arrears, get in contact with your solicitor, but also every time your tenant does not hit a payment, so they don't pay their monthly rent on time, or they haven't caught up with any payment plan you put in, you need to be chasing that tenant. That's email, text, phone call, and making file notes of that, because that is all evidence you need to record in case it goes further.
1: Um, thanks a lot for that. That was a great, um, I think that was a great Uh, And I hope a lot of the listeners are feeling a little bit more secure in that tenant um, and landlord relationship, which can sometimes be quite tricky. Um, I'd like to move on to the next question now, which is about expats. Somebody on the post was saying that he was having a lot of problems with getting mortgages. Um, So what are some of the alternatives and how can somebody who is an expat continue growing their property portfolio in the face of this challenge? Um, In short, who can they go to?
0: Good question here. Okay, so the difficulty or the challenge that you will experience as being an expat investing in the UK is that if you come over here and you're looking to borrow from UK banks, they are going to put a premium on their interest rates up until the point where you've got a good enough credit score that they can lend to you at the um, interest rate that people with good credit scores would be able to borrow at. So it doesn't matter where you are, it's all about your credit score. So what I really advise that you do is that you open up an account in the UK or an account for your business that trades out of the UK and you start building that credit score. So that is get a mobile phone contract out of that account, maybe open up a credit card and spend some money and pay it off on that account. Anything else that you can put, um, that you can open up similar to like a subscription service or anything that shows you've got money coming in and out of that account and that you're paying for things on time. That will very, very rapidly build your credit score. Once you've got that credit score, you'll then be able to borrow at better interest rates. So that is my number one tip of advice. Get that bank account open and start using it because that is really what is going to help you out. But then of course there are alternatives to that. You could use private finance. So you could go to some of the hedge funds or private investors and ask them to lend you money. Again, it will be at interest rates on their terms, but you get to negotiate on that. And it will depend on how secure you are as an investor. So do take that into account. Um, Some of the big banks do also lend to expats, but you are going to be looking at interest rates of around 8%. HSBC, Barclays, sometimes NatWest look at them, Metro Bank look at them. Um, And if you've opened up a bank account in the UK, go to your provider for a mortgage loan as well. They are going to be able to help you out. Again, the interest rates might be high. So there isn't a problem with getting mortgage, providing that you are financially secure, all you need to be doing is making sure that you are working on that credit rating and that is the best thing that you can do. And you can check your credit rating on a monthly basis, see what's going on, see how it's changing, use Expedian which is really good or check my records, all of that will really, really mean that you can keep working on that. You can see the progress. And once you've got a really good credit score, then you're going to be able to get the better interest rates.
1: Okay, I see. So all is not lost in terms of expats and and kind of getting in and growing their property portfolio. So that is really <laughs> good news. Um, and then, sorry, you, you, you mentioned, were those two apps that you've mentioned, um, uh, My Credit Score and what was the other
0: one? Experian.
1: Experium. OK, so those are two things that um, uh, the person involved can go and have a little look at and, and just to keep uh, keep track of the credit rating.
0: Yes. And if you can get on the electoral roll over here in the UK, then that is a really, really good way of boosting your credit rating. So if you, can, if you are eligible to vote in the UK, make sure that you are registering to be able to do that because that boosts your credit score as well. So that's another top tip. I see that some of the next questions that I've been asked are all about commercial and holiday lettings and what should you be doing about commercial property and whether you should be taking on serviced accommodation within your property portfolio. Commercial is something that I am so, so, so passionate about you start taking on because it's another way of maximizing the returns in your property portfolio and also spreading risk. It is a huge subject and I really recommend that you start by reading around the 1954 act because that governs commercial leases. In the members club, I actually speak at length about commercial real estate and how you navigate leases, how you're finding the right tenants, how you are making sure that you are investing in the right property, but Just as an introduction to that and around commercial tenants, Lorenza and I put together a podcast last week, which I am going to post below. So the link will be there. Click on that and everything that you need to know about commercial tenants, where to find them and how to deal with them. And why I love managing commercial property so much will be in that podcast rather than going through it again in this podcast. Holiday lettings and serviced accommodation is, again, something I'm really passionate about. I have serviced accommodation in my property portfolio and I love it. I love it. Because number one, it brings in huge returns. I get about three times the rent that that I would get if I just did it as a normal buy to let. So that is a massive plus. I really enjoy talking to people as well. And so speaking to the guests that come and stay with us, hearing their feedback, learning about where they've traveled in the world is fabulous. I really relish that. The downsides are that of course it's more costly, you've always got to keep your serviced accommodation at such a high standard. But that's not a downfall because you have cleaners that go in after every single time someone stays and they look after the place. So my serviced accommodation is always in tip-top condition. Now this February in the members club, I did a package called successful essays or serviced accommodation. And if again, that is something you're interested in, you want to know exactly where you should be buying your serviced accommodation, how to set it up and how to manage it in 15 minutes a day so that you do not have to pay that extortionate 20% to other managing agents. And let me tell you, yes, you can be based anywhere in the country or around the world. I run mine from anywhere. Then. I will put the members club link below as well because I've opened up the members club as a secret for the next 10 days so that if you're interested in joining us, now's the time to come on board before it goes back to waiting list only. So I hope that's helped you out and there is so much more information around that. But do click on all of the links below and experiment with what we've got because trust me, if you go through that, you will soak up all the goodness around commercial property and holiday lettings or serviced accommodation. Next up, I was asked if the property, if your property portfolio can pay for your children's education. What is the process to ensuring that your children's education is paid for? Well, that's a really good question, and I know a lot of people who pay for their child's education as a really tax-efficient way of using their property income. So it is completely possible. What I would say to you in the first instance is that I'm a surveyor, not an accountant. And before you start buying property you need to go to your accountant and figure out the best way of buying and holding properties. And that's got to include your children. The way that my clients do it is through a limited company where their children are shareholders, their education is then paid out in the form of dividends and or as an expense so that goes through education but again as i said you do need to go to your accountant first once you've got the holding structure figured out you then need to let me know exactly how much money you need to be making on an annual basis in order to be able to pay for your children's education and then come back to me and let me put some properties in that company or that trust whatever it is that you set up. But trust me, if this is something that you are determined to go for, make sure you're going to your accountant now before you buy any more property so that you can get it set up in the most tax efficient structure. And the final question for today, well, I was also asked, how can you find reliable student lets? Is it a good return on investment? How do you structure their contracts over 52 weeks or another period? Okay, so first off, how do you find good or reliable student lets? Well, you're going to have a look for the university towns. And I would suggest that you then start looking at student population. How many students are there? Is there enough student accommodation? And you can usually find this on local councils' websites, local universities' websites, and it will be across local press. So get those statistics first, because you will then know that if a university is in need of far more university accommodation, then that's a really good place to go and buy something because it means that obviously you're going to get the people demanding that from you. I know that in Bath uh, last year, there was a deficit of 15,000 beds for student accommodation across the two universities in Bath. That was just announced in the local press. So there is a demand down there. The one downside is, is that the local council have put in such tough Article 4 restrictions, that finding a HMO property gets that bit more of a challenge. What I advise you do is go and have a look at any HMOs that landlords are selling off because they don't need it anymore, or the new tax implications are just it's not gonna be worth it on that property and take that HMO property off of their hands because the HMO license will still stand. So that's a good tip of advice for you. And if you want to know if a property has already got a HMO license, then just check the local council's website and it will be on there. And again, local council's website also shows where the article four restrictions are and there, there should be a map. So if you're looking at any property for a student let and you need that HMO license, Make sure that you are double checking that with the local council's website to make sure that it doesn't conflict with Article 4 restricted areas. So that's how you're going to be finding where you can get a really good student let. Um, Is it a good return on investment? Well, yes, of course. If you're buying in the right places, when you're looking in student towns, you want to be buying in an area where there's loads of students because students like to live close to each other. That's the fun part of going to university. It's the social side. So do think about that. If you are looking for a student let, then make sure that it's close to other students. So you're going to have to do your research around that. Have a look at the university, have a search for where other student lets are, and you can see a high proportion of student lets, and then buy around there. Also, there's loads of new build student pods popping up, so perhaps having a look around that area as well, because other developers would have already identified the areas that they're building in to be a place where students want to live. So that's another good tip of advice. How do you structure their contracts? Well, usually you would do it on a room by room basis. Although I know some landlords do it as a whole property and they let it as a whole property to um, all of the students. But it's probably easier if you're doing it on a HMO basis to let it on a room by room basis to each individual individual student. Um, and then usually you would do that for eleven months, and that would be. August through to June or September through to July so you you decide depending on when the university's terms time starts. Some landlords do just do term time and then in school or university holidays they let it out as serviced accommodation. Again that's up to you I think students would prefer to only have to move their stuff out once a year. And if the students want to stay for the whole 12 months, you can always grant them that extra one month tenancy. But it's often useful for you as a landlord to have that one month where you can go in and you can have a look at any maintenance issues, you can have a good inspect of the property and see how it's holding up and do any repairs as necessary. I always advise that if you are having uh, students lets that you need to budget around 20% of the monthly rent, just put it in a maintenance reserve fund. If you don't spend it, great, but it's there just in case. Student lets have the highest rate of maintenance and emergency calls out call outs mainly because students don't understand what's going on or they're not that careful. So just bear that in mind. But is it a good um, yields that you can get? Yes, definitely. Good return on investment? Yes, definitely. I would always advise it though that if you're turning a property into a student let you also make it so that if you ever want to dispose of that property, you can put it back into a single dwelling house that's a really good idea just so that you've got multiple options uh, at the point that you need to sell it because more often than not landlords are buying these properties in areas that are residential as well so families might want to buy them for that purpose but do I recommend it well yes if you can find a property that is really worthwhile and looks really good you've done the deal analysis and you think yes I'm going to get an awesome yield here and it's gonna be worth my while, I'm gonna get a huge net profit each month, then yes, go for it. Just make sure that you're looking for the right area, so where students are living, and you're looking in an area where a university has a lot of demand for accommodation outside what they provide. Because if there's already enough accommodation there, then you're not gonna have that demand, so you're always going to be competing with other landlords. You want to, for, you want to fill demand. You want to be that supply to the demand. That is what you need to be as a landlord across the board. That's how you need to buy your investment properties. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. And I hope you found that really useful. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can explore these themes in more detail. You can either come across the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group, where this week, we are holding the Seven Day Success Summit so that you can get to know exactly what NC Real Estate does, try out our materials, and get up to speed on how you invest in property. It's a really good strategy. It's seven days of 15-minute seminars, plus a beautiful workbook. So come over and join the Facebook group so that you can get involved in that. Trust me, you're going to be able to take huge action with only 15 minutes a day. That's what I advocate. As long as you are consistent and you keep going, you are going to be totally awesome. As well as that, this week we are opening the Members Club. So if you try us out, you love the 7 Day Success Summit, jump into the Members Club. But you can only get to that link through either below this podcast or in the Facebook group. We're not opening it to everybody, it's just people who follow us. Then in 10 days time, the link is closing again, and it goes back to waiting list only. So if you've wanted to come into the members club for a while, now is your chance. And finally, if you want to come and meet me, and you want to go through some of the skills that mean that you can take action immediately, then come to Property Investment Mastery Live. This is a small, intimate event for only 18 people. At that event, we are going to start by going through handling the fear of property investment and conquering that fear. And it's not because I think, oh my gosh, you guys think that, I think you're gonna run away every time you speak about properties. No, what I want you to do is bring me your problems and let me solve them so that you can keep investing. I don't care how big or small those problems, bring with you the fears. And trust me, I know there are so many out there that I want to make sure that we turn that around and you can keep making progress. Then we're going to talk about money on demand and how you can find money no matter what Um, invest in your next properties and then find financing so that you can get that long-term mortgage. And I've got some awesome strategies up my sleeve. I'm a surveyor. I know this stuff. Trust me, if you want money on demand, you can get it. And then finally, I'm going to teach you how to get that perfect property delivered straight to your inbox. So if all of that sounds awesome, then come and join me on March the 24th at 9.45 a.m at the number 63 Hotel at Lancaster Gate in central London. If you want to know more about that, you can email Lorenza property at ncrealestate.co.uk and she will give you all the details. So that's that from us this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've got loads of goodness out of it. Remember to click on the links below and explore everything else that we offer. And I cannot wait to catch up with you again next week.